Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Binge Town TV. This is Brian here with Luke, Paul, and producer Dave. And today we got a brand new show for you guys. We're going to be covering the first two episodes of Netflix's new show, The Sandman. And I got to be honest, I don't know a whole lot about this show. I know it's based on a DC comic book, but I feel like all four of us are kind of diving right in. But Luke, I know you know a little bit more about it and are going to carry us through this episode. So I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, I'm surprised that none of us knew the lore behind this kind of character, because like you said, it's a DC comic character. But the original run of the comics that it's based off of is written by Neil Gaiman. So if you guys know, don't know who that is, he's also the writer of the source material for American Gods. That was a big show that kind of fizzled out a little bit, but Lincoln from The 100 was the main character of it. He's a big writer. And one of the best things about Neil Gaiman is that he's actually credited as an executive producer for the show. And when the writer of the source material teams up to make the live adaptation it's always better and to add on top of that the source material is finished and complete and it's received super well so basically a bunch of peripherals going for this plus netflix plus some blank check fantasy like this is just basically my wet dream i fucking love it i could not be more hyped to cover this i didn't know much going into it and coming out of it like i'm already craving the next couple episodes but what did you guys think so far before we start going to the actual episode itself? I was hooked, man. Um, I dove in so quickly <laughs> and I, I was hooked immediately. I mean, like you said, the blank check from Netflix. I was My first note is CGI budget is out of this world. Just, mm-hmm. you know, that first scene, you get the introduction of who he is in his realm. And it's just, uh, it's beautiful going from one scene to the next, the fluidity and just the craziness of it all. It, it makes you feel like you're in that world. So I loved it right away. And I hate not being able to watch more episodes, mm-hmm. but it's just so worth it because I got so much stuff to talk about. <laughs> to play off what like B Toms was saying, I really didn't know about this show at all. And then one day Luke kind of brought it up to me just like hey have you heard about this new show the sandman i was like not at all i have no clue what it's about he kind of just loosely pitched it as you know like this dreamscape realm fantasy kind of thing and i don't think i've we've covered a show fantasy show since probably the wheel of time right but either way it's the reason i bring that up is because it's just nice to have that genre back in my life again just because we had been doing like Peaky Blinders, a little bit more streaming towards the nonfiction side of things. So getting back into the magic world is just, it was such a treat. I'm not going to say I'm like all in on the show just yet. We've only got two episodes, but for what it's worth, those two episodes were just incredibly enjoyable to watch. Like I just found myself just like the edge of my seat, just wanting to know more about the dream world and Morpheus himself and all the characters that we got introduced to. However, early on, a lot of them were killed because of the time skip. We'll get into that, but uh, just a solid first two episodes. I'm really excited to get into the next, um, what is it, eight total? Ten, actually. Ten, so eight more left. Mm -hmm. So good stuff. Your fantasy world question, we covered The Witcher like directly at the end of Wheel of Time. Okay, so it was The Witcher. That was still a big, that was pretty long ago. ago. Yeah, Yeah, that was a long time ago. We do a lot of fantasy, so if you have a non-fantasy show, it feels like forever when you did your last fantasy show, true. honestly. It's so true. 
But carrying along with first impressions, I, like these two, were hooked. I think it's the mystery around the character and the fact that everything revolves around dreams, which in and of themselves are kind of mysterious and whatnot. And there are so many questions coming out of it, but the main character really has me interested in him in Morpheus, the master of dreams. I think the whole... I don't want to get too far into the details and what I liked and didn't like. Uh, but the other thing that I want to say is Paul and I just covered Moon Knight and I kind of did my own Google research because that has its own established lore. And I kind of found out through the research, a lot of the basic premises of the character. I have decided not to do that with the Sandman character and looking up all his stuff. For instance, when they said the helm, like his vestments, the helm, the stone in the sand, had I done Google research, I probably would have known exactly what they are, what they do. I saw them in the show. I was just like, fuck yeah, I'm in. Those are dope. I want to find out more about them. So I'm going to be completely in the dark. Hopefully we have some hardcore source material lovers listening to this podcast, but I'm going to say some stupid stuff because I'm not researching the background source material. I was just waiting in these episodes to hear the bum, 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 but I'm waiting for that episode 10. I think it's going to happen. Season finale just hits. Oh, it's going to hit so differently. B-Tom, I'm doing the same thing as you. I don't know anything more than really what I already said at the beginning of this podcast about the source material. And I love it that way. We get so introduced to all these different takes on the different types of lore. Like we have the devil is going to be a character, Lucifer himself, which is also the same character, but a different take on him as the other i don't know if it's netflix or cw the, the actual show called lucifer it was netflix it's gave it netflix. a final season yeah. so same it character was... completely different take but then on top of that we just have the greek lore which is some of my favorite greek mythology is just always interesting i think they're going to be pulling from all these different sources which is just going to be so interesting because we don't really know where it's going and with that being said, I'm ready to just start talking because there's there's a lot to get through in these first two episodes. The first one being a, a big piece setter and the second one adds a little bit more lore. So the first one's going to be a little bit more of an introduction as you would expect from a fantasy episode one. So with that being said, episode one, Sleep of the Just. We're going to cover this like we've done in, in most of our recent podcasts. We're going to take it by bucket scenes rather than covering every little thing. Just makes it more fun for us. It flows easier. We don't have to pick apart every single piece of dialogue and every single plot point um just more entertaining things and things that that we want to talk about and likes and dislikes so for this first episode we're just going to start it off with just the intro that dave kind of covered already where we or maybe it was paul that we get this incredible look at netflix's cgi in it's called the dreaming i think is the name of the dream realm i think they say that a couple times in episode two so we see the dream realm we get an introduction to our beautiful main character's voice. Holy shit, dude. He's Morpheus. got a voice on him. I am Morpheus. <laughs> and I want a quick pause because we need to decide this right now. And I think I'm going to be in the minority here. But do we want to call him Morpheus or Dream? I like Dream. I like One Dream syllable, too. quick, Dream. Yeah. And it seems like a lot of the people refer to him as that. So I'm down. Is that cool? Okay. So we have Dream's narration of just what this world is like. And we're going through just some of the most beautiful fantasy money can buy at this moment. And it's just incredible to see. But besides that, we're also going to cover in this bit of conversation, the order of the ancient mysteries led by no other than Tywin Lannister himself. And then also we're going to have the Corinthians introduction along with dream getting taken by Tywin Lannister. So those like first 10 minutes, I think that might even all be before the Sandman shows up. I could be wrong about that, but what'd you guys think about this epic introduction? 
I saw Tywin Lannister and I just, I guess because of his role in Game of Thrones, I just immediately associated uh, this character, um, Roderick, as being a villain. And of course he was. So Tywin just continued to be playing some great villains in these shows. His time wasn't too long in the episode. Obviously, just really cool getting to see him in a show that wasn't Game of Thrones. I thought he did a phenomenal job. Mm-hmm. The introduction to everything as him as the Magus, I thought, obviously, was really cool. When they said that, I was like, okay, already in because there's magic and there's a recognized group of people that are looking to acquire, I guess, more power in a sense and more familiarity with magic. So great introduction from him. I'm surprised they killed Tywin off so quickly. I guess mm-hmm. that's the point of the story, a hundred year time skip. But I'm hoping we get some flashbacks because it seems like Roderick has like a lasting impression. Like Lucienne is already reminding Morpheus in episode two, you know, Roderick was just a human too. Like, I feel like he's going to have a lasting impression in this story, but a great villain, like you were saying, Dave, and obviously Netflix had to flex their CGI muscle. And I feel like that's what this series is going to lean on. But if they do it well and through two episodes they have, I'm all for it. We had a nice little uh, Bingetown TV actor crossover. So the guy, the actor who played young Alex, like Mm -hmm. opened the door. That was actually the same actor from Bly Manor. And I can't remember his name right now because I stink. That possessed little bitch. (laughs) That's a spoiler. (laughs) I mean, I I assume he's out of it, too. And he was a great actor for as as young as he is. So um, Mm -hmm. but he's out. you. I absolutely loved the small monologue that dream gives us about basically who he is what his role is and uh what his powers are and he's like yeah i control all dreams and nightmares like i do this for humanity basically and he was like nightmares for some reason thrive in the real world i just thought that little details just cool he almost seems to not look down on humans but acknowledges that humans don't understand the impact that the dream realm has on the waking realm as he says humans no he says humans refer to it as reality when in actuality it is the waking realm um and he made a point to say how foolish kind of the humans are and don't acknowledge the power that that dreams have on their actual lives so i'm excited to see how dreams impact their actual lives i guess is what i'm saying and they, was... they did it in a really cool way, too, because like the the flight of the raven that we're following right off the bat goes mm-hmm. past someone who just happened to doze off. It's the doctor that ends up giving the grimoire to the Magus. So you see him wake up. That was just like a really, really well done sequence just to kind of show you how in and out humans can go in between the different realms and not to jump ahead a little bit, but. It seems like the the gods in this world, if that's even going to be the right term, are called the Endless and Dream of the Endless, right? Which is just Dream such a freaking cool title. Dream of yeah. the Endless, King of Dreams. And Nightmares. Like, and Nightmares. Just so freaking cool. That was like a good way to get us into the introduction of this family who is going to be, like I said, uh, Rock. What's what's Tywin's Roderick name? Burgess. I just wrote Tywin. Burgess. 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 Burgess, Alex. And then you get the backstory about... Alex's older brother is now dead, and that spawned Tywin's whole adventure to kind of capture the Angel of Death and bring back his dead son. And then I'm guessing that the Angel of Death is a different Endless that we're going to meet later in the series. I think I've seen too much TV because in the moment where Roderick kind of doesn't refer to Alex as his son, you know, he's the the doctor asked him, he's like, oh, I've only known you to have one son. 
and he kind of just like looks over and he's like uh, he says some kind of it was like randall was my everything this was all supposed to be his yeah and alex is just chilling there like i in my head already had this thought out i was like oh my god like that's dream's younger self he just came out of nowhere it's not like a real person but i was just theorizing i took it to heart like when he said (laughs) that i was like oh it's definitely he's definitely got something to do with the dream realm he's definitely not real but i mean First miss on the board. Yeah, first miss on the board. It was in my yeah. head. The other thing Tim I will foil say, hat was on too tight, man. Yeah, the other thing I'll say for those who have seen South Park, this was definitely just imagination land is what I took it as. Is like that, Remember that episode, Paul, where they go to the dream world? Yeah, so for those who haven't watched the show yet, but who have seen South Park, there you go. Put it right in your, in your plate <laughs> for you. It's imagination land. So let's talk about the Corinthian. I don't know if it's the or if that's just his name. Corinthian sounds like it's a title. The, people have referred to him as the Corinthian. It's okay. not just Corinthian. Yeah. So this seems like he's going to be the main bad guy, maybe of season one, maybe farther. But this motherfucker has got no eyes. Love him. And he he's just amazing. like he's a nightmare just in the real world. And he is a creation of dream. So it seems like this is going to be a huge conflict because of the time skip. He keeps getting stronger while dreams just stuck in the magus's basement so his introduction was pretty cool because i thought it was a trope subversion of him totally just falling to the knees of dream when he shows up i thought he was gonna like put a fight up but he knows right there when dream has his three vestments which are the plague mask the the ruby and the bag of sand he's like i stand no chance against this guy please lord and he starts like begging i thought that was like an interesting twist because holy shit like this guy it's it just shows how much character development he had over the 10 years now he's like a badass so i think he's going to be a good antithesis to dream i think the potential for this villain is so high he i'm getting mad the beast vibes from the magicians like the way he was taking people's eyes and everything and just how uh, ominous he was and just very mysterious definitely think the actor did a great job for me at least personally in these first two episodes anytime the corinthian was on the the tv i was like okay Definitely paying attention right now because mm-hmm. this guy has some information that's going to obviously go against what our main character Dream is looking for. But I, I think he's going to be a phenomenal villain, and my expectations are really high for this character. Even though, in the grand scheme of things, he's only a creation of Dream, so it's not like he's a god or anything. So I don't think he'll be like a whole series villain. I think maybe it'll just be a season one kind of thing because, like I said, he's a little bit of a smaller character in this world. Still, expectations are through the roof with these first two episodes. I mean, that's the thing, though, because nightmares are stronger in the real world, quote unquote, reality, the waking realm. So maybe like because he's been there so long, maybe he's going to give Dream a run for his money or something. But I mean, if he gets his was it was it vestments, if he gets his stuff back. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I can't wait to see how cool he is because he looks like a boss with that helm on there. We even got glimpses of him like using all of his magic and early on in episode one. I thought it was so badass the way he just like grabs the sand, blows it on people. And if we can move along, then we should talk about the moment where Dream gets pulled into this basement, this sketchy cult basement after the Order of Ancient Mysteries is doing this ritual. They pull him in. The Magus has Alex take all of these vestments. <laughs> what and a bitch. He's just butt ass naked right there inside this circle, clearly like. There are some real human magics that work in this in this universe. Not to jump too far ahead, but later in the episode, uh, he Roderick actually does have a line where he says, "Like by the laws of magic, I have captured you." Mm-hmm. So that's crazy because you know me, I fucking love the laws and rules of a magic system. So if like 
he had the right tools for the sacrifice and the incantation and mm -hmm. the circle was just so funny because like you were saying he made alex get everything he was going to go grab it he was like alex come here just in case I die. <laughs> go grab this so roderick he's such clearly an evil character and he was so entertaining for as short as he was on the screen he was going all out on the summoning scene like with the incantation so i was like wait a way to lean into it he really sold it i like the idea that humans are capable of capturing a godly figure and i think corinthians even corrects ethel later on and says no not a god dream is something more than a god mm -hmm. Uh, so just to point out that was the incorrect terminology, I guess. That's what I was thinking of. But that actually happens right here. This is the last thing that happens before the 10 year time skip is Corinthian shows up to the manor baller and and gives Magus like a little bit of a rundown. It's just a lore dump that's just purposely meant for us. Obviously, we find out about the endless and the order of the gods, and he even name drops dreams yes. siblings. He says death, desire, destiny. destiny, despair. And I guarantee we see multiple of them. That's when he says the more than a God thing. That's when he explains the vestments, specifically dreams vestments. And he kind of gives lowdown saying that they lend aspects of his powers if humans use them, including extending your life. So this scene was sweet because, again, lore dumps kind of need that for longstanding fantasy series. So it was good to get some of this just baseline information that we know what the endless are going to be like. And they all I'm assuming they all have their own vestments. Are they all beginning with D? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that they named so far. Will of so, D. I'm sure that's going to have something to do with it. Some of the endless starting with D. Um, f that follows death. Is that is that how it was? They were all parts of death. What are a little ambiguous because yeah. they're referred to as siblings later on as a collective, but right there he doesn't say a word that connects death to the others. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure if death is higher up on the totem pole or if they're all equal. Okay. Because my initial you know, reaction was that death was kind of like the showrunner of all the rest of the endless stuff like that. But I'd be, I could be completely wrong. They could all be on the same level. Am I making it up or did Morpheus, I'm sorry, Dream say that they all have their own realms? So I was actually going to bring that yes. up too. He said they had their all their own realms. And that's another thing that I'm really interested in seeing is how they're going to tie all of these endless. What is Destiny's? world gonna look like you know I what do is not want to go to the realm of despair dude I was just gonna say that, that. Noise. that is literally just hell that is just gonna be hell but like, what like would how is that somehow worse oh my gosh somehow worse than death i'd rather be in the realm of death than despair and yeah the, it was specifically said he's gonna go to hell i think not next episode but the mm. episode after it he seems like he's that. gonna deal with the sands first then he's gonna go get his mask which is in hell if hell That's is cool. despair or death i guess it's probably death right I would want to say so. Lucifer. They said a demon. So in hell. Back to Corinthian coming into Roderick Burgess's manor. He made Burgess come out of the house first. Like he had the knock on the door. Burgess came out after he opened the door. And then when Burgess went back in, Corinthian was already walking around like a boss, like out in the place. In episode two, to jump ahead, he does the same thing with Ethel. My thing is, is like, why does he do that? Is it either one, he's playing psychological mind games, or two, he has like a rule, like a vampire. Because he's a nightmare, I'm sure he has certain bounds in reality. And like, maybe one of them is like, he can't come into your home. He can't break in unless like you open the door and like let him in or something like that. Mm -hmm. But it's just like little, little things like that. That's just make him such a boss. And he's so cool. And it's such an interesting character. Yeah. When he hits uh Roderick with the line, 
You better hope you don't have to see me again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Roderick never saw him again. So Roderick must have done a good job in the Corinthians' eyes. He leaves him with a couple pieces of advice says, put Dream in a freaking piece of glass and don't let anybody sleep near him, which is just a cool little nod to his ability to take over people's minds and dreams, which we see later. Just awesome. We did get Jessamy, the Raven, you know, escaping. And Corinthian even said, like, oh, we're being listened. Like, you're going to have to take care of that. We know just me is out there and I guess it was just chilling there because mm-hmm. this is the, uh, this is the time skip yep. 10 years. And I was like, Oh, time skip. That's cool. Mm-hmm. That was like time skip part one. What happens in the time skip? Uh, I think it's dreams narration again, says that the vestments brought the Magus all of this luck and fortune. He's thriving. Ethel shows up. That's all in this little bucket. And then we have multiple conversations with dream in the basement, including Alex going down there talking to him. And I think the Magus tries to convince him to give him back his son again or something. And then we also have the the Raven getting killed by Alex, which was just like a fuck you moment because damn, I hated to see that. Now that dream is captured, there are people in the world who are mm-hmm. unable to wake up from their dreams, I guess it is. Or they're in like an endless sleep, essentially, where they just kind of fall asleep one night. And then the moment dream got captured, not a lot of people, I think they said it was most people were unable to wake up from their dreams. So Over there's a, a million bit, people around the world. Yep. Yeah. There's a direct correlation from dream getting captured to the people in the real world. Sleepy so. sickness, baby. That's what I do appreciate about. that real world implication though. Dream. Yeah. I like how it was right away, immediate impact. It wasn't like over the course of time. He knew once he got captured that this was going to have implications and that just hit right away to a million people. And I wonder if that changed over the course of the hundred years. You know, I wonder if there's more than a million people now that well, are. Yeah, no, because the- after the 10 year time skip that that happened initially, I should have brought that up before the time skip after the time skip, they say it kept getting worse and worse because now not only are some people getting into this endless sleep, some are just a walking sleepwalker mm-hmm. and then some literally can't sleep anymore. So it is getting worse and the world has completely started to deteriorate as one of the realm gods is missing from his realm, which is just, again, like epic, like that's that's sweet, just adds more weight to the power of the endless. And we're going to keep getting more and more glimpse into what the impact was of him missing for this whole century. So let's talk about Ethel, though, because what did you guys think about her appearance? Oh, bad bitch was the first thing I thought. But I like Ethel. It was so weird because she gets introduced when Alex is trying to turn everybody away, which, first of all, that's baller. Like to be Roderick, people just come to your house, throw money at you to get into the party. It's like the most expensive cover ever just to see like magic and shit. It's pretty, pretty good gig. But Ethel, when she was basically talking down to everybody else, she was saying like, oh, this is Alex, his son. You can use magic, can't you? And I was waiting for him to use magic and he never did. Same Um, thing on my mind as well. Continuing the story though, that there's humans out there that can use magic. And I want to know what the link is, how they get it, what can they do? Like, how powerful can they get? Like, who's the strongest human? That'd be sick. I want it on the board. And this moment, remember that B. Tom says that he really, what did you say? You love Ethel? I said, I like Ethel. Okay, so you like Ethel. I like Ethel, yeah. I don't have any spoilers, but based on the trajectory of episode two, she could totally be a partial villain. So I guess I respect Ethel. I don't know. It's ballsy to steal the vestments. And I feel like she stole them more from Roderick than from Dream. They had already been stolen. And I guess she made a career out of doing that, brokering stolen goods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I like her. She's interesting. What can I say, man? She's making baller moves. We I like people that make moves that have powers and humans that are relevant. I should say, 
But and Roderick was a yeah. dick. So Ethel's my choice. Let's cover this. Um, the Raven, I guess, Fucking quest. Jessamy. So Alex. close. I totally thought the Raven was going to break open that glass. And when that shotgun went off, I was like, no fucking way. I was yeah. pissed. I was so mad. Jessamy was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. His acting was pretty great. Yeah. That was like the saddest you've seen him, obviously, because that was like his friend. He goes on to say, and we learned that, that it's really just to communicate back and forth between realms while you're like, in uh, one. What was that in the magicians? Were they cats? The bunnies. bunnies. The bunnies yeah, could yeah, go yeah. between realms. Yeah. yeah. It seemed like Dream thought of him as a little bit of a companion, too. Like, there was a little bit more of an aspect of a relationship. I don't know. It was heartbreaking. I felt for Dream. He was probably optimistic and then nothing. But it's also worth highlighting kind of these interactions that Alex gets one-on-one with Dream, like when he offers to cover the guard's shift. Because even from a young age, he was sympathetic. And he's got his father, who was kind of like his abuser and hates him, bullying him into keeping Dream in there. And instilling that mindset, I guess, as this scene progresses, this is the same time where Tywin dies because Alec kind of says Randall would hate you, too, if he still if he was still alive, pushes him into the glass and kills him. And he looks up at Dream and there's this moment where you think, holy shit, he might let him open, but it doesn't come to fruition. And then there's the other 90 year time skip where you find out he went a whole lifetime following his father's instincts and I don't know, just request to leave Dream in his prison. There is a combination of things that happens in between the actual destiny because Alex does get a lot of, I mean, wouldn't say a lot, but he gets multiple one-on-ones with Dream. And I want to use this quick second to bring up how great Tom Sturridge is, who's the actor for Dream in these moments, because he never says a word for almost the whole episode, at least the first like 80% of the whole first episode. It's all facial acting and i think paul you said it you said it pretty well when the bird gets killed like it's just so much emotion on his face and you even almost see tears rolling down his eyes but just wanted to shout him out because i think i'm going to be a huge fan of tom sturridge as morpheus slash dream anyways a couple things do happen before tywin dies and we get the introduction of paul uh, who, who is uh, <laughs> Alex's future husband, I'm going to say. We also get the info drop that um, Ethel was pregnant with Tywin's kid, who turns out to be Lupin from Harry Potter. That's fucking sweet. Oh, yeah. I think that's pretty much takes us to that conversation you were just referencing there. We also do have the one confrontation where Tywin beats the shit out of Alex because he was talking about letting Dream out, right? Like yeah. he was going to help free him. And then that's when Tywin hits him and then says that's sorry that I'm, I'm mixing this up a little bit because we did skip over that as well. That sends him on the Raven journey to redeem himself. Mm-hmm. And then Jessamy, eventually he does. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse almost saves Alex right there. Cause Alex was going to get like beat the shit out of by uh, Burgess. And then, you know, Jesse starts tapping on the screen and cues his adventure. So I thought, you know, Alex was going to be a big character going forward. And it seems like, I don't know. I don't want to like spend too much time on talk about him because it seems like he might be done. But then again, he was he might come back because he was just putting that in the sleep. Mm-hmm. So it, it's weird. But I, I like that they dedicated time to giving him the backstory. All these interactions that he was having with Dream, in my mind, that's why I was like, oh my God, he's definitely got to be a spawn of Dream in some way because they were being so weird together the way they were, you know, like about to press fingers against the glass. I was like, okay, maybe Dream senses something in this guy as well. And maybe um, Alex is also sensing something from Dream. So I was really forcing this in my head. Like they are connected in some way. And to play off what you said, Paul, the reason 
why I don't feel as strongly anymore is because Alex is over a hundred years old now. And it's like, is he going to be a major factor going forward? I can't tell because even in his dreams, we saw him dialing back a little bit in the age, like Revert we got back to like a kid. Yeah. You've got his old self, his young self, and then his child self. So, and with dreams powers, I guess like you, if he can bend reality in a sense, it's on the table that he could live, but I just have no idea. Mm-hmm. I kind of think that the Burgess family is going to be important because it seems like the Magus yes. Tywin Roderick passed it down to Alex when he died. So it goes from father to son, what have you. And I guess we didn't see Alex and Paul with any sort of a child. So I guess that would then fall to Ethel's son situation, which brings us into Ethel's response to Tywin wanted to abort the child. And in response to that, she stole the Vespins, which I don't think we explicitly highlighted. And then when he lashed out, that's when he died. And then the only other thing that happens before that insane time skip is the conversation, the third maybe conversation where Alex brings Paul to meet Dream as they're still young. I don't know how old they are at this point, but they're, you know, in the middle age after the 10 year time skip. I'm leaving this a question up for you guys because I was kind of split of what dream should have done here because alex says all you gotta do is say you won't hurt us and i'll let you out bro like at the same time like i was still super fucking heated about killing the raven so and that's exactly what dreams narration says right away he's like should i forgive him maybe but he killed my raven so i was kind of almost exactly in line with his thinking but like he could have just been like i'm not gonna kill you and he gets out and that doesn't have to wait 90 years of just not talking the fact that he has the stones to just sit there for a hundred years and not speak a word adds a layer of respect to that character that not many characters in my entire TV fandom achieve. Well said. Yeah. That thinking you should have forgiven him and just been like, yeah, bust me out of this joint. Like you guys are safe. I I will almost go as far as to say it was hubris on his accord. Like that (laughs) was, that was being petty or spiteful to a fault. Yeah. Rip Jessamy, but like, bro, get back to your realm. Wait, no. Falling apart without you. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because he's like, they didn't know what they were damage they were doing to their realm and also his realm. So it's like, all right, you didn't talk to prove a point, but there's so much damage coming through. Like, why didn't you? I think like, he just really <laughs> wanted them to feel the repercussions of what but he didn't know that his realm was. He was very surprised yeah. when he found out about yeah, the realm. That's true. So that's fine because yeah. if you're a god, What's 90 years to you if you've lived millions, you know? So I do see it from that point of view too. But either way, like it's just so petty and awesome because he gets (laughs) his revenge in this next scene as soon as he breaks out because of the stupid guards. He also didn't make a deal with the humans. And I'm sure that would like have a lot to do with it by like saying, no, I won't hurt you. I'm sure that would come into play. He wouldn't be able to affect anybody. He wouldn't be able to put him in the endless sleep. So uh, I like his rules. Fucking love it. (laughs) <laughs> I will say, though, the move from Paul and Alex last time going in the basement and just breaking the circle with the wheelchair. That was a nice that was a classy move. Yeah. OK, so bring you back to when we introduced Paul. Day started booing. Paul saves the day. Paul literally gets dream out. I don't want you to have your moment. That's why. Do you think that was Paul going against Alex, though? I feel like they were in cahoots. Alex Paul? and Paul agreed to do no, that. No, no, because Paul turns around, looks down at it sees that it's smudged, looks back up at Dream and kind of does like a slight nod and then turns around. So he's like, I'm sick of this. I'm going to be completely honest. I did not take it as intentional at all because when when you get the camera shot of him looking down, we see they show us a circle 
and it's not it's not broken but then dream looks down and then it's broken so no i didn't take as an intent i totally thought it was an accident like if they could have gone back i don't think that i took it as an accident too for what it's worth so i think we're split here i rewatched and then look real closely because paul after he wheels him away uh alex is facing the other direction he turns around and looks at the circle and then looks at dream and then walks away again. There was so. also a nod, kind of like a yes. Uh huh. Yes. I I agree. Okay. Paul I was, have, okay. The I only thing the nod. I can confirm is that Paul was in the know. I cannot confirm that Alex was. Yeah. Okay. I agree that he saw what he did, but I don't think he like set out to do it. Is what I meant by the accident. Like I I know uh. I think I know he's aware that the wheelchair broke the seal, but I don't know if he was trying to do that. Is yeah, what I meant. I, I could be. What do you think? He was just like ah. Eh. Fuck it. It's only been 110 years. We were keeping this bad boy under wraps. I'm tired of this, Grandpa. Look, whatever it is, I'm taking it as they were both in on it. Paul wants to think Paul was in on it. You two think it's an accident. That's just good writing that it's so. Paul saves the day. Paul saves the day. But that fucking time skip. Can we just talk about that? Because that blew my freaking mind. I thought we were going to take place all in the mid 1900s. Like when Alex was in this younger age, maybe in a little time skip, but that blew my mind when the CGI transition just made him old in the wheelchair. I was like, holy fuck. (laughs) If they were in World War One in the original scenes, that makes us in like 2020. Yeah, I think that's the point. They said it in the current year. It's kind of made a lot of times. Yeah, Uh, that fucking makes sense from a production standpoint. Mm -hmm. So it was originally 1916. Then we got a 10 year time skip. And then we hear dream say that it was, he was in there for over a century. Mm-hmm. So we assume that if it's not 20, like 20, it might be like 2030, like and a little bit past. So let's take this moment to bring up friend of the pod, Alki's criticism of this, because he brought this up to me and Dave last night after he watched, he's actually already on that, he finished, he finished it last it night probably. within 24 hours. He finished the whole season. He was freaking out about how would it make sense that Alex could live that whole time? basically implying that he would be like 115 ish by this point. Did that bother you at all that he did live that whole period? Cause he was probably no. already like 15 18. to 18 ish yeah, after the 10 year yeah. time skip that add another 90 years to it. Did that bother either of you guys? No, because Corinthian, when he first went into Burgess's manor and he was saying all these rules of exactly. how you should mm-hmm. Corinthian says like there are benefits to keeping one of the endless close. Mm-hmm. So that's, how he kind of stays young, you know, the Ruby, you know, that the Ruby might do that or the bag of sand, the helm. I don't know which one, but he would have had during that 10 year time skip. The Ruby was affecting him because yep. all of the Magus's peeps were mm-hmm. prospering. It's the assume- Ruby. they say the Ruby specifically in episode two, mm-hmm. because um, Ethel talks about it. Like the how she stayed alive. So, so that makes sense. Not even just the vicinity, because then like all the security cards would just like not age either. Well, so, no, because it was only the the ruby was only there for ten years. That, that's what was, I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm yeah, sure the ruby was used on Alex, on uh, Roderick, and it wasn't used mm-hmm. on the security guards. Hence, why the security guards are close to and uh, close to Dream, but not being affected. Yep, I totally I think agree. It's noteworthy, but they explained it enough to not be a plot hole. Agreed. Yep. All right, cool. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy when I was arguing with him about that point. I was just very shocked. I really had expected us at this point that we had been introduced to our second main character in Alex. And then that hundred years goes by. And at the time, I guess I wasn't like thrilled because I was expecting Alex to be the second main character that he was already on death's door after this time skip. But I think what B Toms was saying earlier about maybe it's just 
it's following the family of the Burgesses, essentially, kind of like a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure kind of thing. I think that would be really cool. But I was definitely thrown off by how quickly the pacing was moving in the first episode. But looking back on it, I don't mind it at all. I think it sets up a lot of good plot points. Agreed. And I'll bring up something specific in episode two conversations. But we got two more main scenes for episode one that we can move along to episode two. And what we just have to cover is literally dreams escape after Paul breaks the circle with the wheelchair, his escape, his confrontation of Alex and his dishing out of the punishment slash gift. He calls it the gift. And then only other quick thing we should talk about is the Corinthian actually getting his first murder and being aware of this. escape. So cool. I really love though, how he was able to grab sand from the security guards dream and use that to his advantage when escaping in the reality. Because that just makes sense. Because I mean, if people are able to create dreams, like hypothetically the Corinthian, like he's not real. We know him as a nightmare, I guess you could call him. So it just makes sense that if he could travel from the dream world to the real world, why can't he just also grab some sand as well? When Alex is in his own dream and dreams confronting him at this point, and he walks up the spiral steps, bro, that shot is amazing of dream like on a quote unquote throne. And you basically he's all shadowed and you just see his eyes. That was one of the coolest shots of these two episodes. And it's just so badass because he says to him, do you have any idea what it was like confined in a cage for over a century? The damage you have done to your world, blah, blah, blah. And he gives him the gift of eternal sleep, which is I don't know if that means death or if that means something that's going to keep him in the story. But that's up for debate. It was a nice touch that he turned him back into a kid just Mm -hmm. to like completely overpower the situation too, (laughs) and yell at scold him. Yeah, that that was so dope luke you're totally right he's in the throne like as a cat you know he got him to follow him as this black cat and then like the lightning strikes and he's back and bam the he looked like an anime character like mm-hmm. getting introduced totally. it was so baller all right corinthian thoughts on that scene he has in the <sighs> in the like apartment building okay so my first thought is Quentin you see Cole. blood coming <laughs> <laughs> you see blood coming down from his eye slash mouth when he turns around and that dude doesn't have eyes, I'm like, okay, so does he take the eyes out of the people and then feed him to his eye mounts? <laughs> and I, I think that's what he does. I think that's what he does because he, he gets into it in episode two a little bit. And I was like, why would you have blood coming from your eye mouth and not your mouth mouth? So I totally took it as his eye holes were just wanting, yeah, the eyeballs. And stuff. he flossed, he flossed his eye holes. Yeah. So they were, they were bleeding a little bit. Shout out to Rick and Morty, by the way. Eye holes. Oh, <laughs> well, his eye mouths. Yeah. I guess we should be saying, but it, he just looks menacing. And it's so creepy that he can just like look up and be like, oh, he's out. I can feel it. He's escaped. Like that's, that's badass on its own. It's his master, man. He's got, he's connected. Dude's terrifying. I hope he sticks around for the whole season, at least. Mm -hmm. At least. Yeah. So now we have dream. This is going to take us to the end of the first episode. Dream returns to the dreaming. And we didn't talk about this character who we briefly saw in the beginning. Lucienne, who Mm -hmm. is the Royal librarian of the dream world and totally loyal and OG servant of dream. I love Lucien already. I feel like she's going to be fantastic, just a ride or die. But she catches him up on everything that's happened. The world's fucked. The dreaming's fucked. The kingdom's fucked. The castle's fucked. Everything's fucked. And Everybody's now, gone. Yeah. yeah. And we get this great little quest sending information, I would say, where it basically puts Dream back on the path where he says, I'm going to return this back to what it was in the beginning. I'm going to make sure that 
we rise back to the, the height we were at before I got, you know, stolen again, incredible CGI, even though it's the decaying version of the dreaming, it just still looked amazing all around great scene to end episode one with anyone that's ride or die for characters that we, as the audience love is going to be a ride or die for me. There wasn't any uh, mind blowing parts that she was in per se, but just as a character, I already just adore her respect that she has for dream. She was probably the only one left out of his order or whatever you want to call it that stayed loyal everyone else had already ditched assuming that dream had left them so i like the loyalty that lucienne has showed for a hundred years yeah it was cool she said some people will have to find you and some thought you just gave up on your duties yeah and she said maybe you should you know it's going to be hard to build all this back it wouldn't be the first time one of the endless and dream kind of cuts her off but it seems like she was going to say wouldn't be one of the first time that the endless just didn't do their duties and stuff like that. So that's just more seeds that they're planting from like the history and backstory and what subtle other- development, man. Yeah. Well done. Well, good it's, writing there. It's perfect. Okay. Uh, Any information there- about the endless that we get is just top tier. Sorry, was there 10 of them, correct? 10 endless? I I don't think they they said no. Okay, I don't know why that number kept popping into my head, but all right. Also, the the gates that he opened or just like his helm on each one, it looks Mm -hmm. so menacing. Look like the Elantris walls, if you know what I'm saying, Paul and Dave. I know what you're saying. (laughs) Also, it's a comment on the helm. I love the Plague Doctor mask look. It's like in Moon Knight where I was like, I want more of Moon Knight in the suit. I want more of Dream wearing the mask. Absolutely. Dude, is, is that like a spine cotton yeah, out of the nose? It's 100% a spine. That's what I looked at it. So I was like, cool. that is such a weird design, but fucking love it. It looks so badass. Wasn't what I was expecting from like the Master of Dreams, but I'm, I'm, no. I'm liking it. Mm-hmm. All right, let's roll right into episode two. And this one's going to be easier to talk about because I have them. There's actually bucket it groups of people we'll see scenes for. So this one's slightly easier. But let's start off with episode two, Imperfect Host. We're gonna we're gonna start with Dream and then we'll come back to his ending scenes at the very end to cap off this podcast. So first bucket of dream scenes here we have the throne room where he's talking to Lucienne again and and catching up about like what's happened in the dream in the dreaming again. We're gonna be introduced to the idea of three in one and then we're gonna meet Gregory the Gargoyle, which ends with Cain killing Abel. So that's where we'll put a pin on it before we move on to other things. So it's a lot to talk about, but let's just kick back right off where we left off at episode one in the throne room with Lucienne. So she has a crazy line, you know, about keeping a journal. I kept the journal for a while uh, and then everybody left. And then all of a sudden all the books just became blank pages. And I'm like, Oh, that's so cool. First of all, what are the books? Are they just the dreams and nightmares of everybody? That's would be such an insane collection. And they would just have me and my nightmare just naked in front of the <laughs> elementary school with mine, no like, teeth and like yeah, yeah. mine's <laughs> the one of falling teeth out. Yeah, dude, I, I pull a tooth out in a nightmare like once a month. It's crazy. Yeah, I hate it. Fucking Morpheus, we're, man. We're stressed, man. Yeah, yeah, Morpheus is causing us some pain, man. Morpheus and Tooth Fairy are duking it out in my brain. I just love the the whole fact that if Dream isn't there, everything dies. Besides the people. So it's kind of like, where do the people come from if he doesn't create them? I definitely think we're going to get more elaborations on that, especially with Corinthian's backstory, I think, because it it seems like the physics are a little bit different for people versus objects, maybe. in a sense. Yeah, let's talk about that at the end, definitely. Yeah, Greek mythology introduction here, and 
nothing gets me going like Greek mythology. Mm-hmm. I think it's so entertaining. Percy Jackson's my shit. Coming like, out soon. Make it cool. Make it make it a more adult take of Percy Jackson esque things, and that's exactly what this is. Three and one. That's the the classic fates. Everybody knows who they are. They're they're all over. They're in Hercules. Percy Jackson, like all over. They're everywhere. So the that's going to be. Yeah, exactly. That's his plan to get his powers back is to use them. And I was just so in on that idea just because I wanted all the Greek mythology. Lucian also has a really cool line where she is so anti the fates, like don't get involved with them. They talk in riddles. Like, why don't you ask one of your siblings, you know, like destiny and desire and dream gets pissed. And he's like, I'm quite certain that they knew where I was and what happened and none of them came to my aid. So we know they're siblings it doesn't mean they get along yeah i'm assuming he's gonna be have a little bit of resentment towards all of them for not helping him out yeah definitely i would for 100 years jesus Mm -hmm. all right so moving along to gregory the gargoyle well this was just again awesome but then it turns super sad and then it gets cute again at the very end but cool cgi again and the reason we're going for gregory the gargoyle it kind of hints at it by the narrative and the order of the the dialogue in the in the throne room where morpheus says i need to get something that's made of my power in order to start regaining some control over the dreaming. And and then it's kind of obvious that it's hinting at him reabsorbing Gregory the Gargoyle. I didn't yeah. think I was going to have any feelings for this scene. And as it was happening, I was like, wow, we just got introduced to Gregory the Gargoyle maybe two minutes ago, and I'm already about to cry about this <laughs> over this scene. It's a gargoyle. Like they didn't have to make it animated like a dog, but like they did just to wrench your heart out a little bit. They had it playing with the with the ball and you know mm-hmm. going up to Abel and the facial acting from Gregory the gargoyle was on point. Like <laughs> he knew right away what uh, Dream has coming for, and he kind of like has that sad look in his face. Like I know this needs to be done, but at the same time, like I enjoy life. And goddamn, man, that facial acting from the CGI gargoyle was incredible. <laughs> this was bullshit by Netflix. How could they get us like this? Like, and they got me. It worked. Really That's, sad. That is that is CGI money out the ass right there. They're like, we have extra money to make him seem like a dog to make your heart hurt. Dream has no problem killing some cute animals if he needs to. Two episodes in a row. We kill our friendly Raven and then we kill Gregory right off the bat. I was yeah. just- fucking sad man and that's not even touching on the fact of how crazy and out of left field this Cain and Abel storyline came because I I was not expecting this at all but again they're pulling from lore all across the spectrum and I'm not one to know too much about the Bible but I think pretty much everybody knows the story Cain and Abel brothers Cain ends up killing Abel because of his jealousy of God or something like that and that seems to be what they (laughs) leaned into (laughs) something like that pretty much yeah like I saw this definitely as soon as they said the name Cain I was like, oh, what are the chances that the other one's able? And they're like, oh, yeah, like, okay, this is 100% like going where we think it's going. I didn't see like the them coming to life, like yeah. able coming back to life every time. I, like, that's interesting. Getting ahead a little bit. But I wonder if these characters, like the house, one is the house of mysteries and one is the house of secrets. I wonder if that's like going to come into play at all. Or if so. they're just showing they're similar but different. So let's talk about that, though. Is it just Kane or I guess just Abel that can come back to life? Like if a normal dream creation dies in the dreaming, do we think they die or do they come back? Like the Ruby definitely has something to do with it because that was what he was going to use on the Corinthian. I think if you were to just like go up and stab Abel or Kane as a human, the same thing would happen. They would just kind of like resurrect 
unless you use the ruby to absorb their essence, if you want to call it that. Turn them back to sand. Yeah, I I don't really know. That would be my guess. Was it Abel that killed Cain? Cain kills Abel. Cain kills Abel. I was like, that was so abrupt. And then he comes back and I was like, okay. I (laughs) I thought it was permanent. I was like, okay, that character's dead. I was like, he didn't really even do anything wrong. And you just stabbed him and now he's dead. Like, what the heck? (laughs) He sucked up to uh, Dream by saying, anytime you need something, come back and ask us. And he's like, you kiss ass and stabs him. (laughs) Okay. So that takes us to the end of the first bucket. Second bucket of all the, the Dream scenes here. This is going to be actually Dream collecting what he's going to offer to the Fates, his meeting with the Fates themselves and asking all these questions, which is just an incredible part. We got to talk about the dialogue there and then also him giving the egg to Kane. So it's pretty much three main things. And B-Times, you can start us here because you wanted to bring up the really, really cool river. I thought it was going to be the River Styx, which would have been cool too. I thought it was the Sea of Dreams. I know they didn't say. Yeah, I guess this is just kind of his easiest medium to interact with all of the dreams at once or kind of just flow through all the dreams in the world. And obviously he can interact and pull what he wants, but he kind of has to flow through these treacherous waters that have grown treacherous in the time that he's been away. We can assume what it once was for him because he's saying all the dreams and the nightmares forget to acknowledge me as their master. Like I will have to reteach them this shit. And he's kind of navigating these waters almost like it's the first time for him. So we're kind of getting to see how he interacts with it. And I don't know. I just thought it was really well done. He lands in one to pull like a crossroads from a Tibetan farmer or something like that. And then he goes to see the snake too. And the way that he just catches it in his cave was just the coolest thing I've ever seen in my entire (laughs) life. And then he takes it to the fates and his interaction with the fates was, was really well done as well. Although my guy, you got to know the rules. Everybody (laughs) gets one question. You had to be reminded with each of your three questions, act like your dream of the endless. And you've been here before. I get that you want to keep pressing for questions, but like they, they made it clear very clear after the first one and then right away you're going to go and hit the second person with a second question it's like come on dream so (laughs) that's so what it is and i was actually worried they were going to pull a like the genie on him where his second question would have been taken at as the second question i was like bro i will fucking kill you don't do this i think thankfully they're forgiven yeah exactly one thing i need to say is that one of the fates calls him out for a previous injustice. Like he did them wrong or didn't help mm-hmm. them with something. I didn't write it down, unfortunately, yeah, he, but it's go ahead. He goes like, Oh, I need your help. And I think the oldest one among them is like, Oh, like you helped us against Cersei. Mm-hmm. And then the young yeah, one Cersei. pops up. He's like, Oh, Cersei's old news. Like, and he did bring really nice gifts. So I actually wrote that down too. What happened with Cersei? What happened to the fates and Cersei don't get along. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, Dream didn't pick a side, so that's interesting. I'm really hoping that they had the foresight to plant that seed for like a season two thing, because that would be sweet if that little line comes to Cersei, the character comes into play way later, because yeah, just good writing. The serpent was cool because when he gives it to the fates, it goes down one of their mouth and it's the old one. And then when her head like comes back too, she's 50 years younger and beautiful. So she transforms herself with the power of the snake. I didn't even catch that. Wow. Okay. That's great. It was so cool. Yeah. You were probably focused on her swallowing the snake. I was like so (laughs) mind blown that she was just eating it. She comes back like younger and beautiful. I legitimately thought. The snake of transformation. I thought it was 
when she came back, it was the other fate is why. Because yeah. it was such a drastic yeah, difference. It could have been. Could've no, been. I, think, I think you're right. I think, I think so, no, because <laughs> I think there was three. There was like the young one, the middle-aged one, and like the really old one. But yeah, either way, they're all the same. Cooler. They're all the same. Yeah. I, I want to talk about one of the questions because they're all pretty basic answers besides one answer. So it's just the ruby is with... The, the, uh, the ruby was hell. passed but, but to a child, so it's it's with From John. A mother who, to a son. Oh, sorry. Yes. Yeah, Ethel's kid John has that. We know that the helm was traded for the amulet of protection to a demon. We to know that's demon. later down the road. But the more immediate thing that we're gonna probably work through, I would guess, in episode three, is where the sands went, and they were sold to a mage in London, and I, I think it's them that references a Constantine. And she goes, I, yeah, she goes yeah. by the name of Joanna Constantine. Joanna Constantine, and I don't know if you guys know this, but John Constantine, I think his name is John, is a, another comic book character that's like super famous. He has a he has a comic book run that was written by Alan Moore, who's a very famous comic oh, book writer, yeah, yeah. and basically who Constantine was is he's just a warlock detective and he's just very, very famous. They even made a, a movie with Keanu Reeves who who plays Constantine. And I uh, think they're also in the process of making a Constantine show current day, like DC is or something like that. So either so way, it's a great world building lore tie-in to connect back to the comics. And I'm just really excited because the actress who plays Joanna Constantine is awesome. And I can't wait to see her. Constantine. I haven't heard that name in years. He was yeah. like, I knew one like 300 years ago. Exactly. Um, and he even has a line. I think it's like the last line of the episode where if this Constantine is anything like the Constantine I worked with, like they should serve me well, which now that you have the background of like this detective or whatever, that's just so cool. Yep. I feel like there's a, there's a few different Constantines too, but that'd be sick if they like loop it into the, the Constantine you were talking about. That was an actual OG comic book story too. Yeah. Alan Moore, for those of you who don't know, he was Watchmen. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he yeah, was Watchmen, Watchmen, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Shout out to Kyle and Mr. Duel if you're listening to this. That's Mr. Duel's one of his favorite movies. So he's a beast. Alan Moore is, he can be a part of this all he wants if he, if he chooses. Before we move on to Corinthians part of this episode and Ethel's part of the episode, what happened? happens with that egg yeah <laughs> nobody saw that coming no, I Lucy. Didn't. well it was it was actually interesting because i really didn't see it coming until literally he says it wasn't for them and i was like oh then he's gonna go back but i totally agree lucian looks down oh you forgot to give him the egg not for them and then it jumps back to fucking abel just crawling out of his uh his grave his shallow grave and, and I'm uh, guessing all of those graves were for him at every single day. Like I, I initially so. thought it was a graveyard, but I think it's just Abel just keeps killing him every single day. He's like, at least Kane buries me real shallow. Like he doesn't <laughs> have to. He's so nice. <laughs> just, okay. Yeah, he is the heart, the heart with the new Gregory, the gargoyle. Yeah, I mean, that's not this awakening because he grabs yeah, yeah. the egg, goes back into, I don't know, the house of mysteries. Let's just call Kane's and, uh, uh, they like fight over the name again. The you know all gargoyles start with G. It's almost like a rule. I think that's cool, even though he wants to call him Irving. I'm totally all about Gerving. Gerving was a good one. Gerving gets him killed. Good, yeah, <laughs> Gerving like did get him killed. That that got him the the hot iron in the eye. But then he wakes up after. Gerving is there. I like how he, he's like, I'll call you Goldie, but in my heart, you're Irving. Yeah. And that's where he he says specifically, like, we are the first murderer and first murder victim. That's our thing. That's what our role is in the dreaming. So just like a cool, I'm guessing they're going to come back because, I mean, why would you spend the money to make 
Gerving like, if they're not like going to bring them back Umber, in some man. That's, that's what I think of Ember and Umber. They're definitely coming back. Yeah. I don't know what their deal is going to be, but clearly they're like loyal subjects to them. They were one of the few people that stayed. So I, I, I just don't know what purpose they're going to serve. Maybe just being his loyal subjects. Well, Obviously, could, he needs peeps. I could see a moment where Corinthian and uh, Dream are fighting and then Goldie comes and saves the day as like a ride or something. I oh, don't know. Hell yeah. I like that. Yeah. Also, I don't know. It almost seems like Kane might start the fucking plot against Dream. I don't know if he's just angry or not, but he probably won't plot, plot against Dream. There's he has he every right to be angry, of course. Like when you're like, no I guess, way. quote unquote, master is gone for a hundred years, just leaving everything to turmoil. God, like Kane acted definitely out the definition of a vendetta. Kane deserved to get slapped by Dream or, when Dream was like, you you are out of your zone right now talking about I agree. you don't know what I left. I was like, dude, I was, I was captive. I couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Kane and Abel aren't Dreams, are they? Themselves? Yeah, I think they're, they are. They call themselves they... like it's their story. So I don't, I don't know if that necessarily, it kind of goes with the idea of a dream, Would I... but that doesn't make sense. To me, it doesn't make sense because if their dreams can't dream absorb them, because Morpheus creates all dreams and nightmares, and that's why he was able to absorb Gargoyle. It's because he Gargoyle, Gregory the Gargoyle, started out as a nightmare that he created. They make a point to show Kane throwing himself in front of Gregory, saying, Take me instead. And Morpheus says, I can only reabsorb that which I have created. Yes. So I don't, I, I don't get where they come from. I think it's whatever the boat Lucian is in, they're in the same boat. Like, yeah, because he couldn't absorb Lucian. I doubt it. Yeah, yeah. right. They have the ears it. that symbolize like a specific kind of species because they all have like the kind the of looking ears. Yeah, maybe ponies out here has more sympathy for more intelligent creatures. I guess I, I don't even know, but I just I mean they're I magical kinda... beings. The only other explanation is that like it was just assumed he wouldn't take a human dreams life but also i got the feeling that they were different from dreams in the sense that gregory was a dream yes Yes. definitely also real quick line that we skipped over lucian is saying to dream take a raven with you and he goes into the oh i can't jessamy was like you know my last one i can't go through that again there are still ravens but ravens aren't necessarily dreams or nightmares because he can't absorb them i'm totally with you guys i don't understand the the, where the threshold is between what morpheus creates and what he can absorb and what is just inhabiting his realm yeah i'm Um, hoping we get more i think we will because he's got to cross paths with people that ditched him and be like bro i'm gone for a hundred years you ditch me in my realm what the fuck Mm -hmm. sup yeah all right before we close out dreams last scene let's just go through everything in buffalo because it's just the two disconnected but basically connected scenes of corinthian showing up at ethel's baller apartment it looks fucking amazing with that bar under the staircase like jesus she's rich as fuck she basically you know you can tell she made off really well because of the vestments and yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. So what she do you guys came, think about this scene? She came fucking prepared. Loved that with the uh, amulet of protection. That was just she clearly has a high level of intelligence for magic because how would she have known about the Corinthian coming to look for the vestments? And how would she have known about the amulet of protection? Like she must be, in my mind, like Magus level of magic knowing. And Definitely. that can set her up to be 
a villain of the caliber of what Roderick Burgess was for that one episode, you know, maybe extended over some time, but she won my heart over this scene. The way she just came in and put the Corinthian who was always so confident in his place with her confidence. I, I love that. So one line that I forgot to talk about in the first episode, when Ethel leaves, we know that she brings the three items that death had, but she also brings the grimoire that they use to capture death mm. in the beginning. They're looking in the safe and he's like, oh man, like all four things are gone. So when we saw Ethel, uh, when the fates were giving us the vision of what happened to the helm, you know, it was sacrificed to a demon. I think that's Ethel actually doing that and hence why she got the amulet of protection. That's what I assume no, that, that she got. That's, that's what happened. But in the moment when I saw that, I totally, for some reason, didn't think that was Ethel. She, the, the girl in that image of trading in the helm for the amulet looked really young to me, but I, I mean, it's she, obviously supposed to be her. Yeah, it was right when she got to America. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, she would still be young. But I guess yeah, yeah. it is really cool to see that she does have that ancient book of spells that were able to capture dreams. That's insane. So I'm sure she studied the shit out of it over the years. In this first half of their interactions they have in the apartment building, one of the things that really caught my attention, this is relevant to what we were just talking about, is Ethel says to Corinthian, why don't you just go get the vestments yourself and use them? And he says, I can't use them because I'm made of the same material as them. So I'm thinking Gregory the Gargoyle was was made of the sands and Corinthian was made of the sands. The vestments are made of the sands. I don't know if Cain and Abel were, and I think that's going to be the key difference. Or we're going to find out that the subjects within the dreaming are, and we'll see some sort of interaction that confirms that. But I think it's just as simple as that is everything that was made of the sands is technically dreams powers. And that includes Gregory and the vestments. So totally that, that was an important piece of dialogue we got here. Totally with you on that, because in episode one, when, you know, trying to reel in Corinthian from Mm -hmm. the real world, Corinthian is turning to sand as the rubies out there when he's getting trapped. So, I mean, that fits in perfectly. Just go back to Ethel talking about all of her insane like items that she's selling. She's using different names a lot. She's saying like, oh, tell her it's Josiana in Italian, you know, Madame Daudet in French or whatever. Probably just though or whatever, but um, she uh, makes it a point to say that Ethel Crips doesn't exist, and Corinthian even jumps in on this when he when he gets in there. Which yeah. again, I want to bring up, he rung her phone, said somebody was at the door. She went to the door, opened it, nobody was there. Walked back in. Corinthian was pouring himself a drink. That's so cool. And my last thing is is the Hanjo Masumune, the short sword that she was looking at that she was trying mm-hmm. to sell. Oh, I, want sweet. I want it. I want it. I would take that <laughs> yeah. any day. Yeah, add it to the collection. We all want that. <laughs> and then the only other thing I took away from this scene was just the was the talk more about the ruby and and she says like the ruby makes dreams and nightmares come true and that's what kind of consumed her son Lupin, who's now in like a mental hospital or it's either a prison or a mental hospital. Talk about that in a second, but yeah. that pretty much closes us out from this thing. Besides him saying that he wants Ethel to be the one to kill Dream. Yeah. And I can help you use, like, I myself can't use them, but I can help you use them to make him go away. You just have to listen and trust me. Which she should not do. Yeah, fuck no. I hope she's somehow good. She still can be good. I mean, she said, nah, fuck off to Corinthians. She used the amulet on him, so she's not trying to align herself with him. She doesn't have any direct beef other than when Dream comes knocking for his vestments back. We'll We'll see how she reacts to that. And she that have any of them. 
Uh, not have, what happened to the ruby? The sun has the ruby, I guess. They're looking for the yeah, ruby. She right. is right now. Oh, yeah. Um, right. And we'll get there. She had a hysterical line where right, talking to Corinthian, and she was like, oh, are you saying that the only way a woman could become powerful is with magic? You're supernatural and sexist. Like, you really are a nightmare. <laughs> and I was like, I, that was a good one, Ethel. Chop that one up. So let's move on to to Ethel confronting her son, John. And he clearly is not very receptive of her being there. There's some beef that happened in the past. and But she's such a big wig. Like, people are just, like, kind of opening doors for her. And you can just tell, like, she is so high up in the world now that she has magic. I feel like she's such a force. Power broker level from uh, MCU. Yeah, I've been drawing those parallels. Believe me, Paul. <laughs> um, I'm wondering if she has authority over the cult, the uh, order of thing, order, order of, of ancient. ancient... Yes, because she is the mother of the last remaining son of what's his uh, Roderick. Yeah. So, and he's clearly in a prison slash psychiatric ward, whatever. So if that cult is still a thing, her and her magical powers could very well be in charge of it. And that might be why she has so much influence and power. She seemed more like a lone wolf to me. Like she was only now she has all this magical ability. She definitely can twist the order to what she wants. But I was just getting a lot of the impression that she's a lone wolf. She wants to do things only for herself and her child. Really, this scene just made me fall in love with Ethel. I think. I think it, for me, it would be. Ugh, I couldn't even begin to name my top three characters. It's definitely in no order, though. It's definitely the Corinthian, Ethel, and Dream, of course. This line, I want makes me back up my. He takes out his victim's eyes and puts him in his eye mouths and eats them. Is because he goes, "Oh, like you're lying, Ethel. Like you know where they are, but it's okay. Your eyes will tell me everything, every thought and every feeling." And he pulls out the knife. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he's going to cut him out and then put him in his eye mouths to eat. Yeah. And that's and that will tell him everything that she knows. And he just she he probably like absorbs all the sights and everything that she has seen in the past. Every, I, yeah. yeah. Totally. It is confirmed there are like teeth in his eye sockets. Those are full on mouths in there. Was that what that was? Yeah. Their mouths. Yeah. 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 That's gross. Yeah. (laughs) In that scene, when he goes to give to knife her eyes or whatever he was going to freaking do, and she uses the amulet protection on him, this is the last thing I really want to talk about is did that, you think that killed him or sent him back to the dream realm? Because what happens is that he wakes up where dream did right outside the big walls of the, of the palace. And then he actually has a conversation with Lucienne right there who defending dream. And he's, and then this is where Corinthian says, he doesn't care about you. He doesn't care about anything but himself. So blah, blah, blah setting up more motivation of why he has a vendetta against him. Cause he's going to leave and go right back to the, to the real world. I'm just like, a little concerned that I want them to make sure that they're not creating potholes here by like, why did the Raven not spawn back after being killed? Or was it not even the Corinthian being killed that sent him back and it was the amulet? I just want those things to be ironed out a little bit more cleanly so we kind of have a better gauge on when there's real tension versus not and people are actually dying versus just being sent back to dreaming. This could totally fuck up our theories with Abel and Cain. Yeah, I don't know. But like, is it a coincidence that Abel also is able to survive death, but awaking in the in dream world. You know what I mean? Like, 
but then dying in being killed in the dreaming could also be another variable. It's like, yeah. there's so many variables. I want a little bit of I think well, Corinthians. Def- the amulet the is kind of a different variable. That's not a normal way to kill someone. If he was killed, it Agreed. might have its own rules, which we're going to have to wait until the next time we see Ethel. I'm sure she'll do a dump on, ah, oh, this is the amulet. It's my Trump card. It does this. Whenever yeah. I'm in a pinch, it gets stronger. <laughs> uh, mine. Was that her name? Mine. Yeah. Mine. got killed. Shad- out a comic got kill i mean that takes us home boys I, I feel like we could just give our final thoughts on the first two episodes and then we can uh put a pen in it and get ready for episode three four i'm in there's multiple characters that i can sink my freaking teeth into i'm asking a lot of questions i'm excited now that we're kind of past the majority of the exposition dump and the world building, I'm really excited to get into it, meet some of the other endless, and I'm expecting big things in the next two episodes. The information dump in these first two episodes set this show up to be a potential just long run show. Like like with all the endless characters that we've been introduced to, well, not physically introduced to, but just even just mentioned, that alone could make this show at least like five seasons. And I would be here for every bit of it. Yeah, like B. Tom said, the characters, uh, there were so many characters that drew me in. Uh, the action, the CGI was all really incredible. The the badass moments really spoke out to me. And it's just it's just great being able to finally gush again over a fantasy show. Uh, I just miss, I miss magic. I really do miss mm-hmm. magic. I watched season one of The Witcher and got obsessed with that world and just, you know, tried to get involved with every piece of The Witcher entertainment out there. I'm getting very similar feelings for, you know, this show. Uh, it's only two episodes, but it has completely sucked me in. I mean, just the, the different worlds, the different realms, mm-hmm. the different levels of of being with the endless and it's just it's just so cool and I can't wait to watch more and learn all more about it. Yeah, I'm a little worried about the hype train that's going in my head because I don't even know if I'm speaking hyperbolically, but I think this is like the strongest one-two start of a fantasy series I've watched in a long time. Like, I almost like this better than the first two episodes of The Witcher. That's debatable, but either way, like, this is pretty much top tier in the beginning of fantasy episodes or fantasy series, and for what it's worth, it had the same audience or same critic score as season one of Game of Thrones. So that's always a good eighty six percent to be to be stuck at on Rotten Tomatoes. You know, wow, like that's... it seems like it's received pretty well both by critics and audiences. It's got the source material. It's got the money. As long as it keeps getting this hype on Twitter, which I'm seeing good things and Reddit, people are really liking it. And then it has the sign off of the original writer Neil Ga- Neil Gaiman. So like. It's scaring me how much I'm starting to really, really love this show. And we're only two episodes in. So Uh, a tweet doing the rounds four hours ago. Hashtag the Sandman became the number one most watched show globally on Netflix in the first week of August with 69 million hours watched. That's a good hour. That's a good, good amount of hours. We're holding the average back, boys. We got to start fucking speeding up. Yeah, for real, for real. But honestly, Netflix says viewers equals renewing for more seasons so it seems like they have a lot of momentum to start with and that people are watching this show which is a great sign that is our first episode covering netflix's the sandman episodes one and two i believe we are planning on doing this in a 222 format we'll see where it goes but we are definitely covering this season one in its entirety 
As always, if you like what you heard, give Finchtown TV a follow on Twitter and Instagram, all our social medias. Uh, stop by our webpage at binchtowntv.com. That's got all our links, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we have multiple YouTube channels up and running. Just search Binchtown TV. You will find us uh, and subscribe on all of us if you really want to be a friend of the podcast. That is the number one free thing that you can do that helps us out is just subscribe, download our episodes. We really appreciate it, guys. Once again... We are Bingetown TV, and thanks for listening. Gerving, yip yip. You're listening to the Geekscape Network.